Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. audience on television, Shaw TV, and also uh, those who may be listening on the campus on the radio. Today's subject totally fascinates me. I'm not quite sure whether I, I like it or hate it. <laughs> because as a person who speaks English as a second language, correct grammar was pounded into my head as a condition of becoming a proper human being. <laughs> and uh, this last sentence of Dr. Rosen's introduction distresses me. In other words, she says, don't bother correcting your kids or grandkids' grammar. You can't beat them, so better join them. Dr. Rosen is a, a professor at the University of Lethbridge in the Modern Language Department. We will soon be losing her to friendly Manitoba. I'm sure she would like to come back as soon as possible. But uh, it's a big promotion for her. It's a Canada Research Chair. It's a big, big job. And uh, we will be but before we ask uh, Dr. Rosen to come up and speak, uh, there are a few housekeeping things that uh, I'd like to remind you of. A for the lunch. There's no free lunch except the speaker. Except the uh, speaker gets a free lunch. That's all she gets, unfortunately. And also, please make sure that your cell phones and other electronic gadgets are turned off. We don't want any kind of interference. And also, it's important to thank the people who support this program, which has been going on for nearly 40 years, maybe more than 40 years. University of Lethbridge, Shaw Television, Lethbridge Herald, and most importantly, the bodies that provide delicious lunch. <laughs> Country, kitchen, catering, and uh, we will enjoy it. The format is sort of half an hour initial lecture, half an hour for lunch, and another half an hour for question and answer. We'd like to conclude it by 1.30. But anyway, without talking about anything else, Dr. Nicole Rosen will tell us how English is changing in our uh, society, especially driven by electronics, Twitter, Facebook, all kinds of things. Anyhow, uh, without further ado, uh, Nicole, would you come up and give us your wisdom? Thank you for the introduction and thank you for inviting me. Um, I, I think by the end of my talk, 
it might not be quite as controversial as uh, it seems at the start, I hope. Um, so uh, I'm going to talk, as you know, about grammar and about language and a little bit about language change and things like that. Um, so I want to start off really by just saying that a lot of people have a lot to say about language. A lot of people have a lot to say about grammar. A lot of people have very, very strong opinions. Uh, I, I'm quite sure there are a number of people in this room that have very strong <laughs> opinions about grammar. Um, I have encountered some of them. Um, and if you do go on the on the web, um, there are, I mean, there are just, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of people complaining about other people's grammar. Uh, people have blogs set up where they just complain about grammar. Um, they judge you. There's a book called I Judge You When You Use Poor Grammar. Um, I mean, this is really a, a, big, a big deal for a lot of people. And I want to kind of talk about that a little bit and, and why it's such a big deal. And uh, why, are we so, why, are, why are we so worried about other people's grammar? Um, and, and what does it mean, actually? I think it actually means something important, and I would like to share what I think it means. Um, so I think one of the last uh, quote here where it says, language defines us, and so bad language, bad grammar, defines us as poorly educated or more likely lazy in our speech and usage is pretty key. I think a lot of people think this. And I want to, and I think this is true, I do think language defines us, and I do think that different different language, I won't call it bad, um, it does actually define us. And it can well define us as poorly educated, actually. Um, and uh, I think that, that that's because we, when we hear people talking, it, we form an opinion about them, right? When we see what they've written, we form an opinion about them. Um, and what I want to convince you is that actually there's nothing intrinsically better about what kind of one kind of language over another kind of language. Okay, it, it, this is about different social evaluations of the language. Okay, and so it's all about social, uh, the social part of it. And so if you look at rocks, for example, one is not a good rock and a bad rock. One is not, um, you know, one isn't wrong. Right, feldspar isn't wrong, and diamond is right. They're just different kinds of rocks. Now, each of them has a context. If you tried to give somebody a feldspar engagement ring, for example, that might not be socially appropriate, right? So there, it, but it doesn't mean that feldspar is a bad rock, right? I mean, it's very pretty, I think. It's very nice. And so really what it is, it's about the context of the usage and, uh, and how we view it, right? I mean, the fact that diamonds are engagement rings is completely arbitrary, right? Uh, everyone know well. Everyone, most people know that it's fairly arbitrary that the diamond industry decided that this was a good way to make money, and therefore we all believe we should have diamond engagement rings. Except for me, I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> anyway, I think that people question that, uh, and we should question the same kinds of things about language, okay, about our social evaluations of them. Okay, um, there are so many things I think that could be uh, so many analogies. I mean, I'm wearing. I'm not wearing gym clothes today to speak in front of you because that wouldn't be appropriate. Uh, I'm not wearing pajamas either. Uh, I mean, and when we see young people wearing pajamas out at, in classes, we think that's inappropriate, right? And uh, so this is the same kind of thing. So basically, I just want to say that we want to use the right language styles for the right situation and the right register for the right situation. So um, chances are, if it's uh, June, you're not going to be wearing this red parka. Um, chances are, if you are in year 2013, you're never going to be wearing that thing up on the right there. <laughs> uh, or down here on the left, armor is not really appropriate anymore, right? 
things like that. Okay. Um, so before I sort of talk about uh, some of the particularities about English in Southern Alberta, uh, I do want to go over a few of the common complaints that we hear. Uh, I mean, there's th this is five. There are probably 25 or 50 that I could have come up with. Uh, likewise, for each example that I give, I could have probably given you 20 or 25, but I, you know we have 30 minutes and everyone's hungry probably, so we're not going to, uh, going to be able to uh, talk about all of them. So uh, you hear often something like, such and such is not a word. Irregardless, that's not a word. Um, and then somebody else inevitably will say, well, it's in the dictionary. Oh, I can't believe it's in the dictionary. And, and it goes back and forth like this, right? Um, <clears throat> something isn't logical. Uh, it, it hinders communication. It makes you sound stupid or just or lazy. Um, <clears throat> so I want to go over a couple of examples of things like that that I've actually found. I mean, I've either heard them myself um, or I found them on the internet. I actually was going to use a, a particular conversation I've had uh, with somebody in this room and decided not to make it personal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so one of the things, like such and such is not a word. A lot of people have a problem with nouns becoming verbs, right? Um, this, I don't know if you can read this. It says, can you action this for me? Action is not a verb. Fine, then can you actionize it for me? <laughs> and a lot of people have a problem with nouns becoming verbs. And this is something I found on the internet as well. Uh, it's somebody who had posted, had a whole blog entry about verbing is a truly horrific phenomenon. And uh, the funny thing I think about this particular uh, blog, he's a copywriter, he actually says, I'm part of the generation that was never formally taught English grammar. I don't know what an adverb is. And he's professing, because he admits all this freely, and then goes on to say, but I do know that if you use a, vowel, a noun as a verb, you're going to look like a complete and utter perk. And I think, I think to myself, like, what gives you the right to say that I, you know, if I use a noun as a verb, that I'm a burk. <laughs> um, and, you know, people have really strong opinions, and they're not backed up. So me, I have a PhD in linguistics. This makes me mad. <laughs> I'm the expert. You're not the expert. I don't care if you're a copywriter. Um, so I want to sort of look at some of this in that um, he says they're not, these things are not, uh, the nouns are not verbs, except that when they are, actually, because a lot of times nouns are verbs. Um, so he says inbox, these are the ones that he gives, inbox, weird, action, trend, dialect, and weird, excuse me, is an adjective. It's not even a noun. So for him, and, and he says at the beginning of this, these are nouns, not verbs, and the first one is weird, you know, and he doesn't even know that it's not a noun, but he's, in, you know, infuriated by this. And um, so... Here are a number of, of nouns that are not verbs, but of course people say inbox me, uh, people say that, that, weirds, that weirds me out. Um, people do say, you know, we're going to action this. Uh, people think, say things are trending. Uh, people talk about dialoguing instead of talking. I mean, you may not like them, but they work as verbs, right? And I think when you say these are not verbs, uh, well, that nouns are not verbs, well, there are, there's a very well-established word formation process called conversion or zero derivation in linguistics. And what that means is all you do is you take a noun and you turn it into a verb, and then it becomes a verb. Uh, what happens if you have a two-syllable uh, noun is that it changes the stress pattern. So there are thousands and thousands of examples. Open a dictionary and I guarantee you will find one on that page. So you have male, 
to mail something? Anyone offended by the word to mail something? Anyone? Everyone's used it, right? To vacation somewhere, um, access. So this is one of those examples. Um, actually, if you look at sort of present, uh, present is a verb, but present is a noun. And so if you change the stress pattern on it, it becomes a noun from a goes from a noun to a verb. And there's lots of examples like that, like research versus research. Um, doesn't always work. Divorce doesn't work quite that well. Um, but there's lots of examples. You know, these were all nouns, and they are now verbs. I, I defy you to tell me that those are not verbs, so that, you, that you particularly don't use those verbs, and that this guy, this blogger, doesn't use these as verbs. And that's the thing, is that there's actually, it's, um, it, it's not really, the, pro the problem isn't that nouns are becoming verbs. The problem is that he doesn't like those ones, right? And the problem is he doesn't like those ones because those are more recent ones. And that's what we don't like. We don't like the change, right? We don't like that it's changing now. And these ones, when I was a kid, we never used that as a verb. Why are those kids have to do that now? That's what it comes down to. It's no different than, you know, I don't like rap music, or I don't like the way kids are dressing, and I don't like their speech. And that's what's going on with this. It's You don't like the way it's changing. And that just makes you old. <laughs> I'm sorry, and it makes me old. You know, like, that's the problem. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> And the, or, or cranky. You might not be old, you might just be cranky. <laughs> anyway, um, another argument that you often hear is that it's not logical, right? Um, that things like, well, if you have double negation, then that makes it, that two negatives makes it positive. Why? Because in math that happens? What, what does math have to do with language? Like it, it's not. It's not. So this this rule was invented by a grammarian in the 18th century, who decided that English should look more like Latin. He's not the only one. Lots of grammarians at the time thought that English should look like Latin was a perfect language, uh, because it was dead, of course, because no one <laughs> and it wasn't changing. Uh, English, on the other hand, is changing, and it's total chaos. Right? You look at different dialects. You look at different ages. Everyone's saying all sorts of things. So let's bring order to the chaos. Instead, of, so they didn't understand the order to the chaos, and so they decided that they should make it correct. And so, she don't believe nothing I tell her is wrong, because it's got two negatives. And so you should say, she doesn't believe anything I tell her, right? So you have one negative. But look at French. Um, I'm sorry, you probably can't look at, you see the, the, the uh, colors. The ne and the rien. Um, those are two negatives, and that is the correct way of speaking. In French, the incorrect, informal way of speaking is to drop one of them and only have one. Okay, so it's completely the opposite of English. It's totally random. It's arbitrary, and that's the whole point. These rules are arbitrary. Arbitrary. That one, that rule for English is arbitrary. Uh, it really was invented um, to look more like Latin. And English is not a not a romance, like it's not a Latin line, um, language, so I don't know why we want to look like Latin anyway. It's one thing for French or Italian or Spanish to look like Latin. To make English look like Latin, that's kind of pushing it. And that's where these these rules like you can't end a sentence with a preposition come from, because in Latin you can't end a sentence with a preposition. Right? So these kinds of rules come from Latin, which is not English. Right? Um, okay. Okay, so, and I also want to show you that there were ne double negatives long, long time ago. So, before 12, uh, 1200, we had, you can say not, that's ne and not, you can probably figure out, even if you don't know, it's, um, I'm not saying it, or I'm not talking kind of thing. Uh, so, ne and not are both negatives. 
uh, he ne speaketh not, he didn't, he, he didn't speak nothing, right? <laughs> or he, that kind of thing. And same thing in the 1400s, I say not, or, uh, no, sorry, in 1400 we change it there. I say not the words, we saw not the nights. But there are different ways of, of, of doing negation, okay? But in early English, there were double negatives. It wasn't a problem, okay? <laughs> um, another thing um, that sort of seems Maybe, I don't know if it's illogical or irregular, but I want to try and hoping that you'll follow me with this. So, if you look at contractions in English, we have he is not and they are not, right? And so you take, you remove the, the vowel from the not, and then you he isn't and they aren't, right? So the they, the pronoun, the, the he and the they stay the same, and the verb contracts with the not, right? So you have on one hand, the pronoun, on the other hand, the verb and the contraction. Now, now look at I. I doesn't do that. I has I am and not, right? So you don't say I am not Little kids do because they know what is regular, actually. Little kids know what is regular. They know what's logical. But we learn <laughs> that this is the correct form, and then we start doing it correctly. But look at what is actually more logical. Ain't. Right, so you have the M, I mean that's, that's changed because it's an older form. Um, but then you have the N, the not, that comes becomes into NT and contract. So actually, I ain't is much more logical than I'm not. I don't know if you follow that. that uh, anyway, but the ain't makes the pattern symmetrical. So this is the better way to speak, all right? So you should all be saying I ain't. <laughs> if you want to be speaking good symmetrical logical English. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to convince anyone of that. And there's reasons for that you wouldn't say that, and I will go get into that, of course. Um, I just want to, really what I want to show is that logic has nothing to do with it. Okay? That's what I want to show you. Okay. Um, things that like hindering communication. Well, I'll, I've heard this quite a lot, that um, it, it's not comprehensible, things like that. So there's certain types of changes. I mean, there's a lot of different types of changes here, I think, that you could say uh, make things incomprehensible or hinder communication. Of course, slurring your words together, things like that, that makes things difficult. But uh, there are a lot of non-standard uh, or non-standard things in English that actually help communication. Okay, so if you look at um, English pronouns, look at, we have a singular and a plural. We have I and we, we have he, she, it, and then we have they. And then what's going on with you? If I'm talking to you or you, it's not. It, it that's hindering communication. Do you mean? Do you mean all of us? Do you mean you? Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. It. Or you guys. Or you all. Right. So this is what happens in in non-standard English. We get yous. We get y'all. We get you guys. We get you guys. This this is helping communication. Right. This is what. This is why people are doing this. We're not inventing. We're not saying use because we're stupid. Uh, it's actually because we understand that there's a, a, a difference there. And um, for the record, there's other languages, Algonquin languages have two different we's. They have a we that includes the person, so I can say we, um, meaning, so if I'm talking to Lisa, and I'm saying we're all going, but she's not involved, that's an exclusive we because she's not involved. But if I want to include everyone in the room, I can say we. 
So there's an example in English where we just don't have that, actually. Algonquian languages have it. That's an extra thing that helps. Because sometimes you do. You mean like we, like all of us? Or am I coming with you? Or am I not coming with you? There's other languages that have even more distinctions uh, in, in the phenomenal systems. Right? All right. Um, so the other thing that people don't like is singular they. And singular they is just wonderful. And so um, you know, the sentence is like, I know there was someone in here because they left lights on. And you know, you get the, the pedantic, well, was there one person or were there lots of people? And come on, we know what this means, right? We know there was one person, and what do we know? What is that they telling us? It's telling us that we don't know if it was a male or female, right? That's telling us something. That's actually useful. Um, they is makes sense. Uh, I mean, I understand that it's a plural, but there's no, I don't think in that sentence anyone could honestly think that it's a plural, unless you're being difficult. Uh, there's no really other way, because of someone. Someone's already there. You know it was a person, okay? I mean, actually, I guess it could be more than one person, too. It, it's, it's, it's ambiguous, but that's what the they is there for. It's to, 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 split, to tell you that it's ambiguous. They don't know exactly who it was, okay? Anyway. So, um, I mean, people don't like when you, they, they rather have a male or female. There are entire language families, again, the Algonquin language family does not distinguish between male and female in the third person. Uh, it's just, uh, it's always, it's just third person singular versus third person plural. It doesn't matter if male or female. It doesn't mean they don't know the difference between male and female, I assure you. <laughs> um, anyway. In plurals, for example, as well, some uh, we have singular and plural. Some languages have three ways distinctions. They have singular, plural, and then a dual. So if it's two, that's different. You have a different pronoun. You have different all sorts of things if there's a dual. That doesn't mean that in English we're confused if there's two, right? It's just not part of our language system, okay? Um, yeah, and so really, we're this they, it's really just to, to avoid, you know, we want to avoid um, uh, gender bias, and we want to, like, Society has changed, and so we don't want to use he, or not everyone wants to use he as a default anymore. And so we're using they instead, instead of saying he or she or she or he all the time. Okay. I mean, that's a way, another way of doing it. You can uh, change between he and she, and a lot of people do that in writing. But I would actually argue that it's not, because it's less, um, uh, I think that's more contrived, and, and you have to think about it. People, it, it, they stop when they see that more than they see they. Because this is just natural, this happens. All right. Um, it, it's pretty common, I think, people just think that you sound stupid when you say certain things. All right. <laughs> and, you know, there's something to that people sometimes sound stupid when they say things. <laughs> um, so I want to I wanna, uh, have you here listen to just a couple, just a very short clip of these. So over like a bright bikini top, that would be so cute. And then I got just a pair of jean shorts. Okay. So this is going to just demonstrate up top. So I don't know if you are familiar with up top. That's when at the end of sentences and you go up all the time. That's, that's, that's up top. Okay. Is for like when you're at the beach or the pool. It's very very casual. This is a shirt. It looks kind of big, but it's supposed to be. I got it in a size up so that it would be really slouchy. So over like a bright bikini top, that would be so cute. And then I got just a pair of jean shorts. 
And then I got some jewelry to go with it just to deck it out. So it's a very casual outfit, so I would probably pair it with a pair of like. All right, so everyone gets the point, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you hear how it goes up right at the end, at the end of sentences, right? Okay, so we don't like that. That that's annoying, right? Um, so I think what I want to get across that this uptalk is generally associated with young women, right? It's associated with young women. This kind of girl who's talking about fashion and it's annoying and yeah. why can't she just talk, right? So I want you to hear another another clip of someone who does a lot of uptalk as well that you may not have noticed. Thank you. Thanks for the warm welcome. Thank you for the chance to come and speak to the Philadelphia World Affairs Council. It's an important organization that is, uh, since 1949, has provided a forum for debate and discussion on important issues. Last month, my administration... Right? It's up all the time, right? But you don't associate this kind of speak with, um, with uh, George Bush, right? Or politi politicians in general. You associate this young with young women. So the, the reality is that UpTalk started with young women, but it is through, it has gone all the way through society. And this is what, where, what really the crux of the matter. Young women are the ones that innovate these new, these new parts of language. And so that's where we notice it first, and that's why it, it's annoying to us. And then, but then it permeates, and we don't realize it anymore. It's just everywhere. Okay? Uh, and so really what the, the thing is, is that people don't like change. Right. I mean, that's that's one of the things. If people don't like change, I mean, why do we think some things are wrong? We don't think that songbirds sing wrong songs. That bees don't do their dance in the wrong way. Uh, humpback whales don't sing in the wrong way. But why do humans all of a sudden? Why why somehow do humans communicate wrong? It doesn't really make sense, right? Um, so there's a couple of reasons I want to go through. Uh, one of them is that we're taught simply we're taught that there's a correct form. Right? School teaches us that there's a correct way to speak. And that's really important. Um, and, and, and what way is that? I guarantee you it's not the way that the disadvantaged kids are speaking. I guarantee you it's the way the teachers are speaking. That's the right way to speak, the way the teacher speaks, right? And so who is the teacher to decide that that's the right way to speak? Well, in, like I mentioned before, in sort of the 18th century, um, there was this belief that Latin was perfect, there uh, was the age of reason, and they decided uh, there were a lot of prescriptive grammarians that wrote books that told people how to speak properly. And again, they probably didn't tell, didn't think that the way that the uh, the lower class person was the speaking was the proper way. Chances are, they thought the way they were speaking was the proper way. And so that is why there are our books telling us to speak these ways. It is completely arbitrary. Honestly, it is completely arbitrary which grammatical features got chosen. Uh, they got chosen because these people uh, wrote books and they published them, and that's what that's what happened. And so that's why we think these ones are right. Okay. Um, and and so these grammar writers are basically the self-appointed guardians and defenders of what they regard as good style. Okay, and that has come down through hundreds of years. All right. Um, and language changes, and people don't always like change, especially as we get older, we don't like change as much, especially if we don't recognize what's going on, right? Um, I guess I do want to get across that change isn't new, um, and this whole phenomenon isn't new. Um, so our language is degenerating very fast is a quote from 1785. <laughs> this is not new. 
All right, people say that like, English is degenerating. It's lasted a good couple hundred years since then. It's not exactly the same, but it actually hasn't really disappeared, right? Um, we understand each other, that kind of thing. There are different dialects, but it hasn't gone. Um, I, I wanted to look a little bit at sound. I'll look very quickly at this here, because um, I think this is Middle English, and you can actually hear it, and you may not 100% get it, but I think you might be hoping you understand. Last what aileth they, that thou knowest have taken me, one thou took my latest sweater, that was so far, so fresh, so fray, so God, that man may well say, of all good Nessa, she have no matter. Okay, so that's, um, that's Chaucer's English. Uh, it doesn't sound like English today, right? It's just happened. There was something called the Great Vowel Shift, and that shifted all our vowels around. I'm going to talk very briefly about Canadian vowel shift later, but I'm hoping I'm out of time here. Um, so language changes. Also, what's very important is that language reflects societal differences. Okay, groups that have been isolated in some way, um, they uh, they speak differently because they have, don't have access to the mainstream standard English or whatever language, and that and so what it is is that our attitudes towards those disenfranchised disenfranchised people or those uh, isolated people gets transferred onto their language features, okay? And so what we associate with bad language, and really it's the way that people speak that are not like us that we don't really want to be like, unfortunately. Um, if you look at just these two sentences, I don't, I haven't, I, I don't want you to listen, I don't have to listen to it because I, I want you to, without even hearing the voices, take a wild guess at what kind of person, what age and what gender are speaking these, language, these sentences. I don't know, it's just stuff that really annoys me, and I just like stare at them and go just go like, huh. That sounds like young woman, teenager, yeah, young woman, right? Now the other one, it was just sort of just grass steps down and where I dare say it had been flower beds and goodness knows what. Probably old, older, right? An older woman probably. Anyway, you just know just from the words and the ones that they're choosing, uh, you know something about them, right? Um, so, it's about situation and context. So, I mean, I don't know if you can read this. The one on the on your right makes me laugh. It says, yes, you did, Mike. You said, you said perchance. And yesterday you called me my good fellow, twice. <laughs> and that's just not how you talk. It's it's right? <laughs> so it's not I didn't appropriate language. So sometimes being too formal is, is bad, too. Right? I can't get any satisfaction. It doesn't really work. Like I can't get no satisfaction. All right? Um, so... I think what it comes down to is um, if we are good language users, we change subtly and not so subtly as well, depending on who we're talking to, depending on who we are, and depending on our age or gender. And so these good language users are changing their language all the time. Um, so, um, the last thing that plays in a role is, that geo is geography, of course. And uh, let's see here. Because that's like a, a sense of family, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, that, that's what determines the line, you know what I'm saying? If we're real close, then we, we're at liberty to talk like that because we understand each other. Where if you're out. So that's geography, but that's also ethnicity. <clears throat> you can hear just from this accent um, that this is probably, this is what we call African-American vernacular English. Uh, so it's an African-American person speaking. Um, it, it tells us something just by listening. You don't have to see the, you don't, don't have to see the person, right? You just have to hear the voice. And uh, last, if I say something, um, is that there's an interplay of geography and socioeconomic class. And so the higher you are in social class, 
the less the different differences are between dialect to dialect. If you have, a, if you're in a lower socioeconomic class, you don't have access to the mainstream uh, standard English, and so your speech is going to be more dialectal and more accented, and it's going to sound worse to a lot of people. But that's because of of disadvantages from overall, and so this is a societal issue, right? And so when we're making fun of the way someone speaks, we're actually making fun. <laughs> of their background. We're not just making, and, and, and we kind of know that, right? We kind of know that we, they seem uneducated. Um, but it is more than that. Uh, and, and I think um, it, it's one of the last bastions of, of discrimination. And so we're, we kind of think it's funny to make fun of people the way they speak. But it's not that different than making fun of someone because of their religion or their race or anything else. Okay, That's where they grew up. And uh, probably it's because they didn't have access to as many opportunities as everybody else did in, in terms of education. Okay, so some people are not, they don't have, they don't learn how to style shift, right? So we can style shift, we can get more casual, more formal. Some people don't have access to that higher formality, and so they, they can't. Okay, um, and uh, I need to, I need to cut, out, cut it off, and so I'll just uh, finish by saying that uh, language basically uh, is, is a dialect with an army and a navy. So if you are strong and if you have a lot of socioeconomic, if you have a lot of economic power, then your language is called a language. If you don't have any power, then your language is called a dialect. All right. <laughs> Just keep in mind. Interesting. Thank you very much.